0: Good evening and welcome back to Editing Aloud. Since we last met, we've had the announcement of a further two weeks of lockdown. As a result, we've had economists scrambling to revise down their growth forecasts. The South African economy now set, according to the Reserve Bank, to plummet by 6% this year. Pretty catastrophic. Possibly more than 1 million jobs lost and some estimates are even higher. And a sudden, quite unexpected rate cut, another one from the Reserve Bank. Lumkile Mondi, did you expect yesterday's 100 basis point Reserve Bank rate cut?
1: Yes, I did, because we thought the 1% cut some weeks ago wasn't going to be enough uh, to bring the relief that's so much required uh, to households and, and those that are highly indebted, but also to bring liquidity into the banking system. So another card is very good for liquidity uh, but we know that the banks aren't going to use it to lend given the uncertainty that we see across our economy. So yes, we expect it. Is it enough? Maybe not enough. Uh, Perhaps we need some innovation uh, from the central bank around a post-COVID-19 stimulus. We shall believe that the bank has got a bigger role to play. If we can just think innovatively, because inflation is not going to be such a problem. So, therefore, they need to play a bigger role in the reconstruction and development of the economy post-COVID-19.
0: Lumkila, just run with that thought. What would you see the bank doing further, more than interest rate cuts, in other words?
1: I mean, there's lots of stuff that the bank can do. Firstly, we have our commodities uh, that are produced by companies such as Sibanyu. Uh, in the platinum sector so if they wanted to to give uh, to put more injection to the company they could print money in exchange uh, for for the platinum in companies so the instead of them selling in the open market the reserve bank buys the platinum to supply liquidity but a much better innovative system would be uh, using parts of the reserve let's say about billion rand of reserves uh, which they then they loan um, to the central, to to, to national treasury, uh, national treasury becomes a conduit uh, to DFIs to development finance institution. So that two hundred billion rand is given to the development banks in Africa, to the industrial development corporations in Africa, and to the public investment corporation. Uh, let's say they split into three. So suddenly, all these three institutions have got enough uh, to invest in companies. To invest in municipalities for infrastructure, and they've got much better accountability structures than government, given what we've <clears> seen um, in government in the past few years. Therefore, a free, interest free loan of 200 billion rent uh, to the state, the state passes through to the DFIs, we may see a very positive and quick return driven by investment by DFIs on infrastructure, on companies, particularly coming from the IDC for companies and the PIC for both companies, as well as infrastructure on uh, in the economic side. And the DPSA looking more on social infrastructure, the water, the roads that they could add uh, within South Africa and Southern Africa for economic integration.
0: Lukanyo Mnyanda, you uh, headlined Business Day yesterday on uh, Lesetje Chaniacho, the Reserve Bank government, Governor saying, no ways are we printing money. And I think you, Lukanyo, have been quite a fan of the quite mainline um, approach that the Reserve Bank has taken. Would you be agreed with the kind of very much broader approach which, which Lumkile is advocating here?
2: You know, like, not being an economist and just being merely a journalist, I never really have strong opinions about these things. I'm just trying to understand what the specialists are saying and then trying to explain to people why people are doing certain things. I've mean, I just, I mean, as Miguel said, I mean, as you said, the, the governor they did make a statement yesterday when he was asked about printing money, and and also about uh, like he also brought up the issue of the legality of it and the restrictions that are placed by the central bank. Act. So it's not a question of whether what he wants to do. Like he's saying, one thing is he doesn't think the government needs it because he thinks he can raise money in the, in, the, in the open markets quite freely. Secondly, he thinks, obviously, there's an argument about inflation that, that, that does not accept, but also he makes another point about, or another argument about the legality of the action. So those are sort of three things that, that, that he brought up as possible disincentives to do it. And I, I suppose, what I could ask you as well, like, regarding the financing of this project, I mean you, you talked about, I mean, we still have a lot of savings in this country. If you look at the PIC, you look at the UIF, why are we going, skipping that step? And, and going straight for like, printing money or going for, going for the reserves. Well, can't we be more creative about how we use the savings that we do have in these institutions, like, I mean, like specifically
1: the UIF and the PIC? I think it's much easier at the moment to use our national assets. So the central bank and our government hold national assets. The others relate to other parts of South Africa, mainly our savers. So I think it's very important for us to tap on our savings as a last resort with the state having shown how it can use our national assets for the benefit of all. And if, if we need to add more stimulus, those of us here in this discussion, then are asked upon to prescribe assets to also contribute as proudly South African and as patriots in the drive to in the drive for an economic growth that's inclusive, that ensures that we've got a much stronger platform for sustainable long term growth that fl- that that filters through to the poor that have missed out in the past twenty five years due to the NC economic mismanagement.
0: Rob Rose, um, the kind of stimulus package that, that Lumkile is, is, is advocating here, is that something that should be coming from the central bank or should we be looking to government itself to do a lot more?
3: I mean, I think they both have a role to play, like Lumkile said, but I do think that the, the central government is is the key uh, the key, key um, distributor of, of funding in this, and I think that's the one who should be, that's the department that should be taking the lead on this. I mean, we have two, we have two issues that we're trying to resolve. Um, one of them is basically what happens during a lockdown period and during this crisis, because you, you don't want people to go to work. You, you essentially want them to stay at home. You, I think Paul Krugman in the New York Times said, essentially, you're putting, you're putting the economy in an induced coma, and you need to provide life support during that time. And the life support is these additional liquidity measures, additional cash measures. But then allied to that is is part of what T Timbaloni spoke about yesterday is the greater impetus towards towards growth, towards reinvigorating growth in the country. And I think that's these are two things. And, and to some extent, we're often confusing them in what we do. We're trying to deal with both with both problems and and at once. And they actually require different responses. Um, but I still think that what happened yesterday was a good thing in terms of injecting. Greater liquidity in terms of um, in terms of the interest rate cuts. It's it's a it's a good move.
0: What it seemed to me also to demonstrate is that the Reserve Bank is there and willing to take action. In fact, if I if I think about it, if I think about it, uh, the Reserve Bank has actually really taken quite aggressive action uh, on in the markets in the banking sector with interest rates since the start of the crisis. Whereas Genevieve Quintal, it feels to me like government has been very on top of the health stuff. But it feels like there's been actually very lim- little economic, macroeconomic type action from government. Um, w- w- has the response been incredibly sluggish, do you think, from government itself to the economic challenges?
4: I think, Hillary, what, what happened is the lockdown, the, the first announcement of the lockdown came so quickly. Um, even if you look at the regulations, that the first set of regulations that were put in place, um, making everyone stay at home, banning certain products being sold, it's, it's, it's as if they didn't have enough time to really think through properly exactly how are we going to do this, how are we going to mitigate certain things, how we, are we going to allow these businesses to open or not. We saw a lot of back and forth in terms of regulations when it came to the taxis. Who's the essential service? And and so I think that we have we haven't heard from government since Sora ramaphosa announced that we're extending the lockdown. But I think they've realized they actually have to take time now to look at these regulations properly, to look at actually what needs to be done, to look at what needs to be done economically, because I think it was a bit of a, a mess in the first two weeks of the lockdown and a lot of um, uncertainty of what can and can't be done. Um, the cabinet is meeting today and I'm hoping that by the end of the week we have more clarity and that our that our ministers are actually talking with one voice. Like you say, health has been great. We've been getting great updates from the health minister, from people that are working with him, from the experts, but we're lacking a bit when it comes to, to other issues, like you say, that are connected to COVID and are suffering our economy, businesses. That are suffering because of, of the COVID 19 lockdown and, and the health issues around
0: it. Genevieve, are there any particular measures which which we might expect out of the cabinet meeting?
4: Um, in terms of the regulations, um, look, we've 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 had the the a forum made up of Shabiz and taverns go to court. They want to be able to open. Um, I read a Story earlier this week that um, some restaurants are starting to prepare. They want to be able to at least do takeaway, um, either through Uber Eats. I see Uber Eats are delivering essential services. Um, there's the big debate over the tobacco ban: whether we should, um, whether cigarettes should be back on the shelves, whether you should be able to buy your tobacco. There's been a lot of lot of talk about whether it's fueling the illicit. Um, cigarette trade we've seen a lot of busts lately so it's those small things i think also a big thing which which for some people was such a big issue in the beginning whether you can go out and walk your dog i know in a lot of other countries that are on lockdown you can go out and walk your dog and jog and this seems to be a really big issue for a lot of people so yes i think um maybe change regulations that might see a little bit of the economy start to to move on again like i said um maybe take away things like that but i think those are People are actually more looking towards regulation or maybe going to help make their life a bit
0: easier in terms of the lockdown. Lumkile, I see you nodding there. Are you? What are you expecting or hoping for out of this cabinet briefing by way of uh, economic, macroeconomic decisions from the government?
1: Firstly, uh, in the letter that we had sent to the president, some of us uh, colleagues in the academia would ask for government to top up social ground, uh, so we believe that business is aligned to that support, to, to that proposal, and I'm hoping that uh, the minister will announce that he'll top up. It's going to probably cost him not much, about six billion rand per month uh, for the next three uh, for the next three months at least to to top up just to ensure that uh, those that are receiving it have got enough cash. Besides that release announcement that revolves around the social reforms that we saw in november because uh, it's very frustrating that unlike many other countries where the treasury and the central bank have been very innovative around tackling their domestic issues the south african government um, with all its institutions have really been disappointing and i think uh, if they if they don't think outside the box I think we have a calamity coming uh, around destitution and, and, and famine for many households if no um, no unorthodox thoughts and ideas uh, aren't presented and coming through from government at this juncture.
0: The Financial Mail cover story this week on how COVID has killed the airline industry. And Rob Rose, I'm going to ask you. Just give us a rundown on, on what this week's edition tells us. It's particularly to- topical in the week in which uh, SAA may, as Business Day put it, be headed to its final resting place.
3: Yes, that was a great, that was a great article. Um, I think the issue is that the airline industry is is perhaps at the forefront of many industries that have been hit badly by this virus. Nobody's travelling, and I think that even once the virus lifts, I think there's going to be a fundamental change in the way people do travel. So airlines were always a fairly marginal industry uh, going back many decades. But, um, you know, this, is, this has done them serious damage. I think the loss, you know, it's 44% down, I think, year on year in terms of global ticket sales. Um, so it's quite precarious, even for airlines who were who were profitable before this. For example, Safair and Comair. Um, if you leave out the basket case that is SA Airways, um, I think it was always a troubling picture anyway before this. So now it's going to be... It's going to be a very tough picture. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, what happens with SAA, uh, Genevieve will, will have great insight on this. I think we'll will certainly be good for our fiscus. I think this is the, this is D-Day for SAA and that's probably a good thing.
0: Let's get on to SAA in a second, but Rob, just, just give us a bit of background on SAF Air and COM Air, and um, will South Africa have any domestic airlines left by the time this is over?
3: We'll have domestic airlines. I think that the ticket prices will have to adjust um, quite radically. I think load factors will, will change. Um, it's a consolidation if it needed. But you know, before before coronavirus hits us, I mean, Comair was was had a had a proud track record of 73 years of unbroken profits, and this year they were about to break it anyway um, and record a loss for various reasons, including the fact that you know they they bought a couple of Boeing 737 Maxes, which they haven't been able to get out of. Get off the air get off the tarmac yet um they also were owed a billion rand by saa and saa isn't going to pay all of that no doubt um a tough industry to begin with safair has started as a low-cost airline and has done pretty well over the last couple of years um and sort of struggled to the top of the heap in terms of mango and, and kalula and the low-cost airlines um and i think after this they they're going there's going to be have to be a, a structural adjustment to the way that pricing is done for airlines globally. And I think in in South Africa too, we'll see that. Um, But fewer airlines does mean the industry will be more competitive. And I think if SA Airways and SA Express and others aren't in the mix, then I think it will be easier for the ones that remain to survive. Genevieve
0: Quintel, will SAA ever be in the mix again? Just recap what's happened this week so far.
4: Well, I don't know, Hilary. there was a letter yesterday that um, the SAA business rescue practitioners had sent to the creditors, explaining that they'd heard government, and government has basically said no more bailouts. Um, where we go from here, I'm not sure. We know that um, the last ANC NEC meeting, they were quite emphatic that you need to save SAA. And in the mix of all of this, we had two weeks ago during the lockdown the SA Express business rescue practitioners um, apply to court for liquidation of the, of the airline. Uh, We're still waiting to hear whether the government's going to oppose that application, but for, it, it, it seems pretty much that SA might go the same way. If they're not getting any, if the government's not going to give them any more guarantees or, or help them um, get money from outside of the country to help pay their debt, what then? Then the next step for the BRP, I could only imagine, and maybe I'm wrong and maybe someone on the panel could correct me, I would think that the next logical step would then have to be liquidation. We, they've already spoken about job cuts that happened before the lockdown, they were starting the section 189 um, in terms of restructuring and, and cutting jobs. What's next? It seems the only logical way is liquidation. Lumki Mondi, what is next for SAA? And what should be
1: next? So for SAA, there's a combination of, of really clever ways of doing it. One is for cre- some of the creditors uh, who can gang up together and say, hey, uh, with all uh, the, the restructuring that's been forced by COVID-19, that drop articulated very well, that there might be an opportunity to be stress player going there. So let's gang together, uh, convert, uh, convert our own positions creditors into equity, They have a structure where we put in $100 million into it uh, and we keep the key management and the pilots at SAA to run it. Uh, And and in the process, we repay those that are not willing to come to the party over a much longer term before. So that's one possibility. Another possibility is for the state to, to do what Genevieve is saying, to say, rest in peace, SAA, and start a new airline um, aa um, um something like that, where the state starts from scratch again and, and rebuild a new airline, free from capture uh, and corruption. So let's, let's watch and see how ambitious uh, the government is and how the ANC and alliance partners are willing to let SAA go. You can, uh, go? Okay. How I willing can can do the you question. think
0: the alliance partners are going to be to let SAA go? I, and, and And do they have any option? <clears throat>
2: I was actually going to ask that question to genevieve as a, as a political specialist but uh, well what i'm going to ask it because because like i look from your perception from your answer it seems to me you're starting from the assumption that south africa needs to have this airline i mean the, is it really do do we really need it is like because that seems to be the starting point but i mean like it was not competitive before there's a reason why the banks went funding it it wasn't because they didn't like it or it was not, not something imp- personal about it i would assume it was because it wasn't viable and to the point where they actually thought they couldn't, they couldn't take, you know, to give it money, That was even when it was guaranteed by the state, because they, they, I mean, they would get it back themselves. But SAA would probably end up going one way or the other. And another question I was going to ask, actually, yeah, to Genevieve, actually, maybe Rob, what, 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 what is the politics of this? Because we've known since this COVID thing... Like SAA and a few other things, well, whether or not going to the IMF, they sort of become a bit of a proxy of the political struggles within the ANC. I mean, you you saw that statements within uh, from from the secretary generals, you know, like, uh, like rubbishing anything that Tutumboweini had said. You know, SAA has to be saved. I mean, how much of that is really is about SAA, or is, and how much of it is really is about factions and politics, Jean-Pierre? and like to an, you, is like um, a proxy
0: for, for the, the internal, internal struggles. <laughs> The SAA debate, <laughs> and indeed the, 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 the kind of battle that's developing about whether we should or shouldn't go to the IMF. Not that we are going, but
4: the idea is being suggested. Yeah. Definitely. We know that we know the factions within the ANC who want to see Sauramapausa uh, fail. We heard a lot of talk before the lockdown. We were supposed to have an NGC, we we're having an election. So, so, yes, there will be. I think it's early say exactly in what form, you know, we did have a, a statement from the alliance. There was a meeting of the alliance uh, last week, and when they, where the alliance strongly said, look, South Africa in no way should be going to the IMF. The alliance has also put together its own economic task team, um, which will be headed by Jesse Dewate, the Deputy Secretary General of the ANC. But they haven't given, they said they're going to also look at ways that they can help government put put forward some policy decisions and, um, and policy ideas to government and how to get our economy going. They haven't given any detail on that. But yes, I, I do think that we will see, once this lockdown done, because at this stage everyone's focusing on, get, on getting South through the COVID-19, I think anyone politically would be stupid to try to fight that now because you won't have the support if you want to fight every little decision that the government is taking right now. But definitely decisions that are made, some of them might come back to either bite the president or not, but it's definitely going to be used as as, as a proxy, no doubt about it.
0: Rob Rose, but I think it's too um, early
4: to say exactly what those will be.
0: Rob, um, how damaging, if indeed these emerging battles are sort of proxy battles for the divide that are already there, how damaging could that be to South Africa's attempts to sort of get out of the economic crisis? Um, How damaging might they be to our efforts to get out of the economic crisis
3: around COVID? I mean, I suppose Battles like this are important, because actually, like Luma said in the beginning, it's about whether we can get structural reforms going, and the crisis has brought that to a head, and I think that's a good thing. Um, I think it's now's the time to have the discussion about why do we need a national airline, and if there's value in that airline, if, for example, the slots are valuable, and if it has things that are value, then let's keep it. If there isn't any value to it, and it's just a drain, get rid of it. I mean, it, now's the time, Times brought that to a head, and I think what this has done, and which goes to your point, Hilary, is that I think it's it's reduced the space for ideologies to play a role in this. Um, I think the exigencies of of the economics will will be what fundamentally drive it, and I think that's what'll strengthen Cyril pause's hand in this because he represents um, the economic rationalists in the party, and I think. At the moment, it's the economy that's driving this particular debate, and I think that's what's going to predominate. Um, if, if you listen to Ace Megashule speak last week or his statement about the IMF, it's clear that the man uh, doesn't know anything about um, economics and and he's clearly just out of his depth. So I think that um, this is a time when economic rationalists will gain supremacy, and I think that's good for our emergence from both this, this crisis, this coronavirus crisis, and I think the wider GDP growth crisis in the country.
0: Just I think a, a I quick word, to Rob, a quick word back to, to Rob for one second. Economic pragmatism prevails, we hope. There moves to open up certain sectors of the economy or partially reopen them, even before the lockdown is ending. Just very quickly, which would be your vote or where should we be opening up? Should we be opening up?
3: Um, I think it's it's going to be, be, you have to open up the economy to some extent because otherwise these businesses, the small businesses will die because they're not getting the money. I mean, we talk about having all these great measures. The money's not getting into the hands of the small businesses. So I think you've got to open up gradually. I think you've got to be very um, smart about how you do it. I think Svelim Kizé's got a pretty good team around him who can advise on, and they're still they're already talking about a partial lifting of the lockdown. Um, but it has to be very strategic so you don't so you don't, you can't just have a, you know, one day. Oh, there's no lockdown tomorrow, and everyone's at the at the liquor city. Uh, all the journalists are there buying all the booze on the shelf because that's what's going to happen. But Lucania, um, I'm going to give
0: you and Lunkile each one minute for kind of how do you want to see the thing unfold in the next couple of weeks. What should be reopened? Should anything be reopened? Lucania, one minute, and then Lunkile, I'm going to give you a the closing word. Lucano?
2: Uh, I mean, I'm not going to have. Add to what Rob has said, I just agree with Rob, everything that Rob said. I'm sure Rob must be into his last bottle of wine now. He's probably quite desperate for the Woolies to open the wine section. So, so, so i <laughs> it <twice> today already. <laughs> so so I, will, I would also support that as well. And obviously, uh, we'll be opening SAA again. Like, <clears throat> I hope that open,
0: open the the liquor stores. <laughs> no, because I don't like SAA. SAA. Uh,
1: Lumkile, last word. Mining sector and the product export sector is critical for us. We need those forex reserves particularly if we're going to tap into the forex for the post-COVID reconstruction and development of at least 200 billion rand for DFIs to invest in businesses in infrastructure for economic recognition. Thank you.
0: Thanks very much, panel. That is all we have time for this evening. Please join us again next week for another edition of Editing Aloud.